Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Next, we have a guest who not only knows the hardship of being a woman of color in the workplace, but is now living the reality of also being disabled. Let's talk to her. My name is Joanna Thomas. I go by Joe, Joe from the go. I'm originally from Chicago, but I currently live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I work from home. I try not to spend too much time in front of the computer, but I spend a lot of quality time with my son and my two American bullies. I work in the tech industry and I really, I'm really kind of enjoying life right now. I'm getting ready to be an empty nester. My son's going off to college next year and I'm just trying to figure out kind of how I want to see the world and how I want to do things in my new life. It's like turning 21 again. (laughs) <laughs> right. Now but you have I, all this access to stuff. Again. All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exciting, but probably also a little like anxiety provoking, no? Like oh, nerve wrecking. Yeah. Having a young black male in, in today's society and allowing him to launch his launch into his manhood and life is it is exciting, but nerve wracking at the same time. Yeah. Tell us about starting your career. Like, what did you study in school? Like, what were your goals at the beginning of your career? Oh, wow. I've had such a vast career. Let's see if I can summarize it without keeping us on here too long. I graduated from the University of Notre Dame back in 2001, and I majored in finance and business economics and had a dual major in computer applications. My business perspective, I had a great professor who saw the future of technology in business U19. So I kind of had a launch in my career of always to be innovative and creative and how to use technology to the to its fullest. I started off again in finance and accounting, working for large organizations like Johnson, General Electric, Baxter Healthcare. And then while working in finance and accounting, I made some pivots to be tech adjacent, really um, latching myself onto the financial tools that we were using and um, getting on project teams to actually implement them um, 
I called it minimizing my work or avoiding the heavy paperwork and, and keying that I did. So anything that I can do to minimize my work and avoid typing and keying, I was all for. That's what I did earlier in my career. Um, got to a point where I was more focused on operational efficiencies that I, I leveraged from implementing financial tools, got into more of those operational efficiencies, did green belt projects, worked on a lot of different in- initiatives. And then I was recruited by Amazon and then Apple to work more in operational functions. Again, made a lot of pivots, but they were always leveraging transferable skills and just building upon the knowledge that I acquired from the prior role and et cetera. Right now in my career, I've currently made another pivot, really trying to take all the experiences and the fortunate opportunities that I had working for these grand organizations to drive more diversity and inclusion in the role that I'm doing now. So I'm a DNI lead for my for a line of business in my organization. And I'm responsible for developing the strategic direction as well as implementing the solutions. So pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Do you feel like your shift into DNI comes from your own experiences as a black woman in corporate? Of course. I would be telling a fabulous lie if I said anything different. Being a Black woman in, in corporate America, and especially being a child of a baby boomer, going into corporate America with a lot of um, imposed restrictions amongst Black women, how we wore our hair, how we dress, our attire, the lack of the ability to be a Black woman, in a true Black woman, in corporate America has definitely scarred and and strengthened at the same time. Um, What I'm doing, definitely um, more than just passionate about diversity and inclusion, but a true warrior in this space. Yeah. Can you tell us a story that you think exemplifies what it's like being in that tech business space and looking the way you do? (laughs) Um, oh my, so many stories. I can give a pretty recent story. It's about being going from pet to threat in in different roles throughout my career based on my Notre Dame undergraduate degree, my MBA from Kellogg, th- these wonderful accolades from wonderful institutions. I walk in a room and it's like, oh, Joanna, like, that's not my name. My name is Joe, Joanna. But it's like, oh, Joanna, welcome. We're so happy to have you. And it goes straight to my background. You went to Notre Dame. You went to Kellogg. Like, like that just gives me some type of leverage. Like, okay, we, we accept you because you went to these schools. And then when it gets to the work, when I start driving for operational efficiencies and asking the tough questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it, again, to get back to operational efficiencies. Remember at the beginning of our conversation, I said I like to minimize effort and like to get stuff done the most efficient way. When I press upon those things, it's like, whoa, do you know what you're talking about? But you just accepted me because I went to these institutions. Right. So I have a lot of different experiences where I'm accepted on paper for my background, my experiences, my accolades. But when I actually start doing the work, 
asking the tough questions, driving for process improvements, placing myself, not asking. I never asked to be have a seat at the table. Placing myself at the table, um, it, I become a threat because of the same things that allowed me to get the opportunity. And I see, I have experienced a lot of that continuously. Yeah. Do you think that it's happening more often now because you are so seasoned and you have so much experience in comparison to maybe like the first 10 years out of school? I would say yes. In the first 10 10 years out of school, Black don't crack. I look like a baby. So it didn't help me then because I look like, when I was 21, I looked like I was 13, 14 years old. Like I just mm-hmm. had, always had this very youthful look. Like you met me. Oh, I have a very, very youthful look. And my charisma, my smile, it gives me this certain presence. Now mm-hmm. I say it even, it's even like a double-edged sword with that. I, I have the tenure. I have the experience. As you say, I'm more seasoned in some area, areas, probably overly seasoned in a lot. But I still experience the same, oh, you're so young. It's like, okay, the microaggressions, they just come right. left and right. And then when I share, I have an 18-year-old, well, soon to be 18-year-old, the summer graduated from high school. It's like, oh, I look too young to have a, a child that, old, that, that age and et cetera, et cetera. So even more microaggressions come. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kind of hinder me. I believe they hinder me as well because I'm viewed as not as seasoned as I am, in which I actually am. But it's just a, another lens and another known bias that pops up. So I would say now in my career, I'm I go for more of that pet to threat syndrome early on. The threat is something that I'm actually just trying to manage. Yeah. So you you suffer from chronic pain and you have chronic illness. Talk to us about that. Like, when were you first diagnosed and when did that element become something that you also had to navigate in the workplace? Yeah, that's a tough one, but I like to talk about it very openly. Um, I have rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis. At least that's what they're treating me for, chronic inflammatory condition that attacks my, I started off with my spine and it traveled to my knees, joints, other joints, ankles, any joint you can think of attacks me now. And over the last about year and a half, it has started attacking my organs. So I'm some organ issue from heart, kidney, and I have to be careful with watching what goes on with my liver because of different medicines that I take to help with the other, the other issues (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> this vicious cycle is this crazy vicious cycle that I'm in and managing my health and my body. I learned of this in at the top of 2020. I learned I had all this stuff going on with my body from experiencing symptoms back from 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to take a career break from 2014 to actually 2021 when I returned back to work. So that gap between 2014 to 2020, I had six years of chronic pain coming from my spine, pinching on nerves, causing excruciating nerve pain. And I dealt with that for six years, not being medicated because I didn't want to deal with medicine, pain medicine, just Mm -hmm. not my thing. But trying different diets, stretching, chiropractors, physical therapy, um, so six years of just trying to figure it out, trying to yeah. get it in and out the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to figure out what was going on. Top of 2020, 
I learned when undergone some testing and learned that my inflammatory markers were off the charts and my doctor suggests I be treated under the rheumatological call for rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis because of the symptoms, the correlating symptoms that I was having and had to go on a low dose chemo that I self-inject on a weekly basis. So that was just like, whoa, what? Yeah. Okay, but I'm a trooper. I'm a rider. We Joe gonna work it out. We gonna get this together because natural warrior, natural fighter. So I was like, okay, let's develop a program for this. Like, let's figure out what's the ba- the best way to get back to being myself and maintaining my lifestyle and get back to my livelihood. So I went under the protocol, and then COVID hit. So <laughs> yeah. I think everyone on earth went through some level of stress and anxiety and what's going on in the world dealing with COVID, going through a pandemic. But that was that I entered the pandemic going on immunosuppressants and going on immunosuppressants during a period where you need your immune system to actually work for you. Right off the deadly disease of COVID, um, I was I was just take I was honestly taken aback after COVID hit. I had newly started the protocol. A lot of fear and anxiety around COVID being on an immunosuppressant and not knowing what was going on with my body and having the fear of contracting COVID, just trying to survive during that time. So what is that like on your mental health? Because you're just trying to like physically survive, but now you're like you said, I mean, I would imagine like levels of paranoid and just scared all the time. What were you doing to take care of your mind during particularly that first year? Yeah, that's a great question. So the year prior in 2019, my mother passed. So I lost my best friend, my confidant, my my twin and like, as everyone says, twinning them, mm-hmm. definitely my everything. So 2020 started rough for me. It's like loss of my favorite person, learning of the, the lifelong chronic ailment that I had going on immunosuppressants, then COVID. It's like, Joe, you didn't crack up. And the only reason why I do have to attest to what my grandmother called that good old religion, very reliant upon my ancestors and the faith that had been built in me over the years um, of being an overcomer, of fighting through obstacles. It just, I went in like autopilot mode. And so I can honestly say it's 2023, about the same time that all this stuff was happening, right? And I can say three years later, I'm just now feeling the mental impact of what actually happened to me. And what I've actually been dealing with the last three years from the medicine standpoint and the knowing versus six years prior, starting in 2014, I didn't know what was going on. So now it's, I can honestly say it's all sinking in. It's all sinking in because it's chronic. It's, It's a management thing. It's like, make sure it doesn't get worse. And now, as things are shifting in my life, as far as professionally, what I want to do personally with my son graduating and leaving home and opening this can of worms called empty nesting, I'm starting to, to feel the mental impact. And it's time to figure out something new to do about it versus just putting my head down and dealing with it. Yeah. So, when you return back to work in 2021, 
Were you comfortable disclosing your diagnoses, your time off, all that was going on with your body and even your personal life? Initially, no. Initially, when I crafted my return to work story, my mother was sick at the time as well. There was this wave, I caught onto a wave. There was this wave of like people taking career breaks. And what COVID did was open up the world to like, we're actually humans, we're people, things happen that are outside of our control. And we actually have to manage through those. And there were a lot of women that were taking career breaks and looking to return to work or work from home during this period of time of COVID. And they were caretakers. They had taken sabbaticals. They had just did different things. And I caught on to that wave because during that time, my mother was um, sick and I was her caregiver on top of my own personal ailment. And she passed away during that time. And so a lot of my storytelling revolved around definitely the truth, caregiving from my mother during this period, dealing with a personal family situation, being myself, and then caregiving for my mom to draw on that empathy. When I start, when I landed the role, I'm like, okay, all bets are off. It is what it is now. I'm in the building now. I learned of different like internal resource groups and the different conversations that were happening across the different demographics that diversity and inclusion was represented. And I was like, whoa, Joe, like you're one person, but you can't dissect yourself to fit in across the organization. You have Mm -hmm. to look at yourself as one whole person. And I said, Joe, if you don't advocate for people that have, that represent different components of diversity and, and inclusion from that perspective, you know, who will, right? Who's, if you're not the person to talk about the intersectionality of diversity and inclusion and the different demographics, who will? So I kind of took it upon myself. It's like, I have to use my story and my voice and it's okay because I have, I have combated the imposter syndrome that others impose upon me. I've always been extremely confident, extremely knowledgeable and aware of my value and my worth and what I bring to the table and what I'm able to do. And I said, there's no reason to start holding that back. You haven't been holding that back. Use your voice and tell your story. Yeah, I love that. And it's so brave of you, right? Because like you have to tell your story a lot then when you put yourself out there. And I know that can be hard and maybe traumatic in some ways. But I think people forget when we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about like race and culture. And so I think it's really important for everyone to be able to see somebody, particularly a Black woman who already has two two things against them, (laughs) let's just be honest, in the workplace, now struggling with another piece and really another piece if we talk about caregiving. So we've got four individual factors just right there. And that's not even me digging into your career and background that much, right? Just four obvious things. That's a lot. And I know a lot of people feel overwhelmed when they're balancing all of that. So they need an advocate like you. Yeah, it's definitely a true balancing act. And so many people have life, what we call lifing nowadays. They have life going on. And it's really, I tell my story to to the, the different pieces of the puzzle that I am, right? A Black woman, Black mother, raising a Black son while being disabled. Like, you know, when you start just combining all that stuff together, 
It's like I have to tell my story because there's so many other people that have their own story with all the different intersection points as well. When you were taking care of your mom and even afterwards, have you ever been able to benefit from the Family and Medical Leave Act rules and benefits? So when I initially got sick in 2014, I did because I went out on a short-term disability and I was covered by FMLA. And then I had to go out and on extended leave and do a long-term disability because of the chronic ailment that wasn't even diagnosed and undergo different surgeries on my spine and hands. So that was huge. That was huge. And I was fortunate to have a great, be at a good point in my career and have great benefits in order to support me during that time. Okay, good. Our first episode of the season, we talked to somebody who's at an organization and they were celebrating the 30th of the FMLA. So now that's on my brain to be like, how many people are using that? Particularly people I'm interviewing, seeing if that was a factor in their life. Yes, yes. Yes. And it it was a huge benefit for me, something that I definitely appreciated, appreciate even more now to be at an organization at that point in time in my career and, and have choices. Yeah, the privilege of choices. Oh, that's something everybody wants. That's the goal, I think, for every worker in this country, in this world. So I'm glad that you were able to take care of yourself and do what you needed to do and not have to like worry about eating because you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So when, okay, so I hear people say once they get a diagnosis, this is with like a ton of different things, a diagnosis can make folks feel better, right? We finally know what it is after usually years and tests and poking and prodding of like not having a name. But with a diagnosis also comes that realization of like, okay, this is real life and I'm going to have to make some changes. Did your diagnoses like affect your career plans? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think it even still like, even though I try to pretend like I got this, I'm okay. I'm doing a great job. I'm excelling in my career. I also have to pause and say, Joe, are you taking care of yourself a hundred percent the right way? And I can tell you, yes, I take my medicine. Yes. I eat right. And I do different things, but it's only so much time in a day. And when you're dealing with a chronic illness, I just told one of my mentors earlier today, I was talking to them. We had a a quick coffee chat. I said, every day is day one for me. Every day Mm -hmm. I'm reinventing myself. So when I look at my career, I definitely have career goals and aspirations. It's it's different levels that I want to reach and additional certifications that I want to get from a development perspective. It's like, I got that all mapped out. But I have to remind myself every day is day one, Joe, and take and re- take pleasure in reinventing yourself for that day. So I have the flexibility to change my mind every day based on how I feel, what's going on, what concessions I have to make, what I need to do for my body in order to get through that day. And that's priority number one for me. Yeah. Okay. So two pieces of advice I would love to get from you. One, advice for people who are going through disability in the workplace, particularly one that people can't see, right? Because it's all like, people's like, I can't tell. I didn't know anything was wrong with you. Okay. So (laughs) advice from them. It's kind of like, are you supposed to see everything going on? Be like, what a weird (laughs) thing to say, right? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, I can kind of get on the soapbox and preach about that one. It's like we have so many biases as individuals and we have to understand um, that people are dealing, everyone is dealing with something, whether it's a chronic illness or not. Like everyone, Mm -hmm. we're human. We all, everybody has something going on, right? That Mm -hmm. is important to them. People with chronic illnesses and especially invisible ones, my advice for them is to definitely own your need. So whether it's seeking accommodations, whether it's in the workplace, outside of the workplace, it's just really owning your needs. Like if you need to do your work differently, request to do it differently. Advocate for yourself. And that's part of owning your needs because no one's going to do that for you. And if you don't know how, seek um, a mentor or someone who doesn't have to be in your workplace, can be outside of your workplace to help you figure that out, how you want to own your needs. Whether it's your doctor, whether it's the government, there's a lot of resources out there on on how to ask for accommodations and needs and et cetera. So I just advise people to own their needs. Yes. And for folks who are in the workplaces, they don't have chronic illness. That's not something that they think about a lot, but they may be working with others who they have no clue what is going on with them, particularly health-wise. What is some advice you would give to those folks? To understand people as being people, like, Always look at situations and other individuals with good intentions. Get to know who you're working with. And people don't have to disclose their disabilities as I choose to, but get to know individuals, how they like to work, what's important to them. Um, There's so much stuff that you can do to get to know a person that you can actually meet some of their needs and accommodations just by getting to know them on on just on a one-on-one basis. It's probably a good rule of thumb for us to just assume, like you said before, everybody is going through something. If it's not like physical illness, let's just, it's mental illness. It's a learning disability. It's a disorder. So they've, everybody has something. So if we just go in thinking like that, we could be a lot nicer, probably. Exactly. That And that really getting to know them and establishing that level of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which builds trust, which kind of is the whole purpose for me with driving diversity and inclusion is for people to get to know other people, establish that level of empathy, establish the trust, and it allows for better working environments. It allows more people to work together and and more inclusiveness. Yeah, I would definitely say like, hey, everybody has something going on and it's not a competition of what's more important for each person, it's understanding that's important for them. Yeah. And I think this is like anti with our work culture because our culture is that everything needs to be done now. We're all in a panic. We all think we're doing life-saving work when there's really very few people who do that. We're we're just so easily inconvenienced, right? So if like we plan a meeting and now you're calling out of a meeting because you're having a flare-up and you cannot do it right now, but like other people don't know that, right? So then it's just like, we just really need this meeting right now and it's going to throw off the whole project and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not that deep. It's not that important, yeah. Rarely is anything that deep in the workplace. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I, I laugh a lot now and I smile a lot just because I've experienced so much in so many different dynamics in the workplace where I've been in those calls where we have to have 5 a.m. calls and 10 p.m. calls. And it's like, 
whoa, what am I supposed to eat and sleep and like, like function as a human? And I get it, right? You get it. But the thing about it is the people that are acting in those manners and creating such an urgency and stressing people out, clearly they don't get it, right? So it's, it's the work that I'm doing. It's the work that you're doing to open people's mind, open conversations about these different areas so they can understand what's really important. How can we get work done? How can we accommodate each other? Like, And that's only going to happen through conversation. Definitely. Okay, before we, we end this episode, I do want to do like a little game with you so we can get to know a little bit about you. So I'm just going to say like a word or phrase and you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Don't think too deep about it. Ready? Ready. Okay. Target. Shopping. Uh, Medical leave. Fear. Uh, Working moms. Tired. (laughs) Uh, Women in business. Bosses. Plants. Money. Oh, I didn't expect you to say that one. (laughs) (laughs) Green. Um, Green. Give me that green. (laughs) Summer 2023. Self-care. Oh, good. Flavored water. Bitter. Okay, the Chicago mayoral race. (laughs) I had to ask you. I had to ask you. Oh, I try to stay out of politics. Tragedy. Mm. And finally, Fortune 500. Chess. Chess. Okay, Bobby Fisher. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was fun. You hear that, folks? Own your needs. If you liked this episode or any others that you've heard this season, make sure that you show us some love by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Take care and have a good week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.